Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're continuing our discussion about God and work. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Glad to have you guys back. Thanks Dave. for joining us. Hope you had a great Christmas. Yeah. Did you have a good Christmas? Well, this is being recorded before, oh. but I w- with technology, I th- we're also releasing this after. Do you think you're going to have a good Christmas? So my sense right now is this maybe is the-, the best Christmas ever. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Although you didn't get me what I thought you would. Well. That was a little disappointing. That's your first mistake. You thought I was going to get you anything. Well, you keep talking about the iPhone 11, and I assumed it was for me this whole time. And I'm guessing you didn't get it for... I'm guessing in advance that you didn't get it for me. And if, if I listen to this on December 30th and I don't have it, I'm probably going to get really angrier. If I do have it, I will apologize on our next podcast. Okay. I can't wait for that. What do you do for New Year's? Are you a big New Year's guy, or are you guys just kind of... I mean, you you're know what? with kids, New Year's changes, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, growing up, I always was like excited about New Year's, but my New Year's are always so lame. I feel like I had this... like idea in my mind of what new year's should be based on movies did you ever spend new year's in church like a watch yeah. night service actually so growing up we would do all-nighters yeah in youth meet- group oh well that's more youth fun ministry than- yeah no we just did like all church all-nighters well we would go to midnight with the church pray oh, in the new year and okay. then all the youth would stay and do- yeah which was fun that was yeah. cool i mean looking back now i'm like what were those youth pastors thinking like Giving up their New Year's, man. They must have really loved the youth. <laughs> well, but, if you uh, got to be at church till midnight, what's the point? You might yeah, as well I guess just stay see it out. 6 a.m. Yeah, no, we don't. Uh, we we let our girls. Our girls are getting to the age now where we let them stay up till midnight if they want to to watch the ball drop. I know there's all these ways now to trick your kids into thinking that they've seen it like you can like watch it on like netflix or something at like 9 p.m we've got a few friends that lie to their kids in that way yeah yeah they probably surprised you can make it till midnight that's that actually is the real challenge that's (laughs) the real challenge like i'll take like a probably a three-hour nap in the afternoon and (laughs) while aaron's prepping all the food for new year's Eve. (laughs) so i do like being with friends on new year's like i like doing something fun playing games whatever but but usually by like nine o'clock ten o'clock i like to go home yeah and just like relax and just kind of hang out, watch a movie. Uh, I find the New Year's shows on TV to be terribly boring and kind of Did just... you not hear Mariah Carey's performance last year or a couple of years ago? I wasn't mean, it terrible? Wasn't it was she powerful. Wasn't she couldn't hear herself or something or she couldn't hear the music? <laughs> it was a little. It, was, it rough. was a little. Her days of singing that Christmas song I think are over, but Yeah. Are you make are you a New Year's resolution person or no? Well, yeah, but I've had the same one for the last I don't know how many New Year's. Yeah. And I think you know what it is. Place your trust in Jesus. <laughs> It may involve having a six-pack ab by the next <laughs> New Year's. That's probably the problem is it's actually you're giving yourself a whole year to get six-pack? That's well, a little more realistic. Usually you're like, it's like April. We see the first signs <laughs> of good weather, and you're like, six-pack by this summer. <laughs> hey, listen. Setting yourself up for failure. Man can dream. Yeah. I figure the older I get, the more my body's going to respond to exercise. And I don't do the New Year's resolutions. I mean, I have in the past, but I do try to think of like, What's one or two things I want to do this year differently to kind of like be a better leader, uh, to be better, better friend, better. Well, not so much that. I mean, it's hard to improve on that, but better parent, <laughs> uh, better spouse. And, uh, you know, 
and maybe sometimes I have a renewed energy for working out in January and February. Of course, it's the worst time to have renewed energy because the gyms are like, yeah. you know, unbearably full because everybody. That's just what gets, I say. Take January and February off. <laughs> yeah, right on the heels of Christmas eating. Wait till March, yeah. then renew it. You then know? get your six pack. That's in right. Three months. That's it. That's good. Well, we are uh, we're in part two of uh, uh, episodes where we're talking about work. And if you didn't listen to the first one, uh, make sure that you do. We talked in the first one about how your work is not your curse. And that actually, if you study the scriptures, specifically the first three chapters of Genesis, work is a blessing that has been affected by the curse. And so part of the effect of the curse on work is that it's hard, but also uh, we're going to talk about how now work has become actually... So, so let me say it this way. For some people, work is less than it was meant to be. It's godlike activity because we're bearing his image when we do it. Some people don't see that. But for some people on the opposite end of the same spectrum, work has actually become too much for them. And so we talked about last episode how your work is not your curse. And today we're going to talk about the idea that your work is not your worth. Yeah. Now, how, have, how do you see people, when you look around the world and maybe in your own life, connecting their identity, their value, their worth with their work. And we say work, it can be the work you get paid to do. It can be housework. It can be schoolwork. It could be um, fun type recreational work, like playing sports or, or painting or, or whatever. But how, do, how have you seen people connect their work with their worth in a way that's maybe unhealthy? Yeah. Well, I think work is one of those tools that we leverage to worship the idols of our heart, you know? Mm. So we've talked about this before, about the idea of having four root idols in people's lives, approval, power, security, or comfort. And, um, and, and my personal belief is that work is one of those things that people will leverage to get the idol of their heart. So if your idol is approval, which is tends to be mine, um, I, I, if I if I look to work to give me that, I'll leverage work because the better I do, the more approval I get. People think I'm awesome. As I rise in the ranks, everyone looks to me. Everyone's encouraging me. Everyone's saying how great I am. And so, um, so that I was will, hypothetical for you, right? Well, actually, no. I had somebody else in mind, um, a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, little rising in the ranks thing. <laughs> right. It's not really your path. Right. Before this podcast, <laughs> you were nothing. But look what this podcast is. Oh, done for oh you. I That's see. That's what I, I was see. thinking. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah, that makes perfect sense. But, but, but for others, maybe if your idol's approval, mm-hmm. you use you leverage work for that. Sure. Right. So I feel more powerful. I have to get that promotion and, and so on and so forth. So I think it becomes one of those very powerful tools that we can leverage for, for someone. If it's security, the more money I make, yeah. the more secure I feel. And um, Becoming a partner, I feel more secure. Exactly. Getting, uh, I forget what it's called, a teacher. When a teacher gets um, tenure. tenure, they feel more secure. Yeah. Right. When people like your podcast and share it. Right. Maybe subscribe. Secure. I don't know, guys. We're yeah. just saying it would make us feel more secure. Yeah. So in the first episode, we talked about people who endure work. Uh, they they really they really work to live, right? They work only because it's the only way they can live. And in this, we're really looking at people who they don't just endure work; they actually adore work. They live to work. But as you pointed out, and I think this is very helpful. They don't. It's not so much work that they worship or that they adore although we could call it that, it's, it's really what they get out of it, what work yeah. provides for them. And, and it creates within them an over-dependence, an over-trust uh, in work. And too much of their identity is tied up in, in their work. Yeah. Um, you know, I, was, I, was, I spoke on work recently at the church, and, and uh, as I was preparing for the message, I, I read this article by a, a young woman named Mandy M. She was a guest writer for HuffPost. 
and she was sort of admitting to being a, a workaholic. And she said a few things I thought were really insightful. The first thing she said was that uh, the, the entire time I was a workaholic, I, I never identified as a workaholic. I simply said I was driven. Mm. And it's yeah. interesting how like labels can make us feel good about our um, addictions. And so maybe you're listening, you say, well, I'm not a workaholic, but I'm ambitious or I'm loyal or I'm committed or I'm a provider or I'm driven. And you got to look closer at that and really ask yourself, is that, are you just kind of making it sound nicer than it actually is when everybody around you realizes work owns you, which is, you know, definition of workaholic. She also said that for her work became a high. Part of her story was struggling with drug and uh, alcohol addiction in the past and addiction to even um, uh, sex and, and, and weight loss plans and stuff like that. And she felt like she had improved herself by moving on from those. And certainly those are very destructive as well. And she had traded in, all she had really done, she realized, was traded in the pursuit of high in those arenas to getting the high of doing a good job. And she said she had to work and work and work, and that's how she got her fix. And then the last thing she said that I thought was probably the most insightful and convicting is that she said in our society today, addiction to work, actually, uh, you get rewarded for this behavior. So other addictions, um, if you're addicted to drugs, your family will try to intervene. Alcohol, people will try to step in, you know. People, people, you know, obviously at times people enable people's addictions, stuff, but, but for the most part, people don't reward people for destructive addictions. Yeah. But this is the one where like, if you're addicted to work, you get a pat on the back, you get a promotion at work, you get people who approve of you and applaud you. And here it within lies the danger of looking to work for our worth. Yeah. And, and, and the better you do, the more rewards you get, whether it's financial, whether it's vacation time, whether it's power, authority. Or just internal satisfaction. Yeah. Just feeling like you're, you're contributing. Yeah. I think this is a major issue within the church world, too, because these are the type of people who tend Ooh. to rise in the ranks. Easy now. <laughs> Easy now. We got a listening base. So within, apologize. within our local church... These are the people that the pastors go, oh, wow, look at that guy. He's here at every event. He's, he's serving. He's, you know, from open to close. He's here with me. And it's very easy to not think, hey, you know what? That guy actually has a family, and he's married, and he has kids. And, like, we're, th- there should be a balance here, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is unhealthy. What, what I've seen in, in my, years of marriage, or my years of ministry is, the church tends to look at those people and they'll leverage them for everything they can get. And those people tend to be the ones that are celebrated. But sometimes, and not always, but sometimes when you start to peel back the onion layers, you start to feel, you start to realize their home life is a mess. Their, their wife resents them because they're never home. Mm. Their kids don't know them. Um, but they're being celebrated in the church world because, hey, they're faithful. They're here. They, do, they check all the boxes that pastors tend to check yeah you know which is a massive discipleship fail right because instead of leading their heart from unbelief to belief in the gospel you're leveraging their unbelief in the gospel to manufacture behavior that helps many times actually you pursue unhealthy things right actually when you started your whole point here i i thought you were going to go less after people in the church and more actually after pastors Mm. because we were in new york city recently and and listening to a guy named drew hyun who's the head of a network of churches in new york city called the hope network and uh he was talking about how he was a part of a really large influential church in queens 
And being a part of that staff gave him so much identity and pride. And he loved yeah. telling people, just like you love telling people that you're the co-host with me on this podcast. He loved telling love people it. that he was on staff. But uh, I won't tell his whole story. But ultimately, he came down to this point and realized he was placing his deepest trust, not in Jesus, not in the love of Christ, but in his job title and in his influence and in being able to tell people the church that he worked at and the size of the church and the scope of the church. Right. And it was really convicting for you, I think, because <laughs> it was really convicting. <laughs> for me because I thought, how guilty am I of trusting in my ability to preach, teach, disciple, grow a church, influence a community, all good things, but my deepest trust and hope and joy lies in the outcome of those things and not so much in trusting in the unfailing love of God and right. his eye being upon me. I need everybody else's eyes to be upon me. And if you don't check that, you can end up working 100-hour work weeks. Yeah. abandoning your family, abandoning your own personal health, your yeah. spiritual walk, because the idea is if I just work harder, right, then I will get myself to that place. Mm -hmm. I'll get the church to the next level. I'll, I'll rise in this and that and, and whatever. So it ends up, um, it ends up creating this frenzy within you, right? Of sure. Work, 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 work. It's never enough. No. Right. And I, I called it when I talked about this message, uh, when I, or when I shared this message recently, I, I talked about it. you I called it your never ending work right? There's yeah. never ending work. There's always another project. There's always another paper. There's always another issue. There's always somebody who's better at you than your than you are at your job. And so it's just sort of like carrot on the stick end of the stick that keeps you moving forward, but it doesn't bring you into rest. Yeah. And uh, so I wrote down some indicators that maybe you worship work, that work is your idol, your master, your Lord. Let's hear these. And, um, and then We'll, okay. you know, we'll see how many of these apply to, to me okay. and then also to you. So you wear a, a unbuttoned red flannel shirt. That's not real. That's the first Cause one. Cause I'm wearing that right now. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you don't know who you are apart from your work. Basically you're, you're, you, you, you've lost your sense of self in your pursuit of, of would, work. Would a good way to, um, if someone's saying, is that me to say, if you were to lose your job today, what? what would that do to you? Yeah. Right. How would that, would how you, would that make you feel? And obviously anyone would be upset, sure. but to what level? Yeah. And I think, you know, how quick are you in conversations when you meet people to try and stir it, stare the conversation, steer the conversation to here's what I do and here's how good I am at it. Mm. Here's a, right. So like pay attention to that. Um, one of the indicators that you might be addicted to work and your work might be your worth is that you can't actually walk away from your work. I mean, physically you do, but mentally, that right, one, that emotionally, one hits you right between the eyes. There's no rest. You know that's true. You, you hold your tongue. <laughs> um, another one is that the happenings at work. Maybe it's a better way of saying that. But basically, whatever's going on at work, circumstances at work have such power over your emotions. Yeah. You're always one bad situation at work away from spiraling out of control emotionally, which is means that, you have no peace. Is that also like it's hard for you to be present anywhere other than work because yeah. your mind's always there. Yeah. So when you're home with your kids or with your wife or your spouse or whatever, it's like nothing that's happening in your present is as exciting or as engaging as yeah. what is happening at work. Yeah. And I think we all can relate to this and struggle with this. Yeah. And I think some level of this is just kind of the way we are, but we have to pay very close attention to how controlling it is in our lives. And can we, you know, we're not, we're not talking in this episode about Sabbath, but this is why Sabbath is so important because Sabbath is a weekly declaration that God, I trust you. Yeah. That even when I take my hand off my work, you're still at work, right? Yep. Um, another example or another indicator is that you're jealous of other people in your line of work who are better than you, mm. seem beyond you. Um, you know, it steals your joy when work is your worth. Is there, 
Man, is there anybody that doesn't struggle with that? I wonder. And don't say don't say you. <laughs> no, it's definitely not me. It's definitely not me. No, I think that's a tough one, huh? I think all of these things can trigger an initial response within us, right? Yeah. Almost like a temptation. And I think all of us, it's it's. I don't want to say it's. I will say it. It's okay to struggle with this our entire lives because it helps us realize how much we need Jesus and how yeah. dependent we are on His grace. But you got to learn to gospel your heart, right? right? I mean, exactly. That's the whole point. Yes. Um, another way is on the flip side of being jealous of people who are better than you is feeling superior than to, uh, or judging or looking down on people who aren't as far along as you in your line of work and yeah. kind of pointing out their, their shortcomings. Um, and then just being a slave to work into what work provides for you. And if you do this, then, then work is ultimately become your worth. It's become your Lord. And the danger is, is that as a master over you, work cannot actually set you free. It can only bind you up to more and more work because it's your never-ending work. Well, and one day, if that's your identity, one day it's not going to be there anymore. Right. Right. Like at a certain point, everybody yeah. gets to a point where you can't function and operate in the way you used to. How Somebody many athletes can't along. deal with life after sports because yeah. their whole identity is so wrapped? I remember reading an article maybe a year or two ago on Ichiro, who is this great Japanese baseball player who basically said, when I can't play baseball anymore, I just want to die. You know, and, and, and that's that may seem extreme, but I think all of us... Has he not heard about the men's softball leagues on Friday night? <laughs> I mean, there's always an option, right? That would dishonor himself <laughs> and his entire nation. <laughs> no, and I, I love each one. I hope he finds something, obviously, to do now that he, I think, is retired. But yeah. um, So to kind of bring these two episodes together... Um, let's, we've talked about how work is not your curse. Work is not your worth. And just one final little, uh, rhymey thought here, uh, work is not your source. So work is not your curse. And if you believe that work is your curse, then it leads you into weariness because you're doing work that seems meaningless and mundane. And what's the point? Work is not your worth. And if work seems to be your worth, it also actually leads you into, uh, weariness because you know that without that I'm meaningless. And so you're running that rat race. So either way, you're led into weariness. Where do we find the strength to not grow weary in doing good or doing good work? And ultimately, we need a better source, a greater source. And so um, we have to, we have to, as you said earlier, gospel our hearts, but remind ourselves of Christ's work, that what Christ has done for us, his work actually frees us to do work for the right reasons and to walk away from our work. Yeah. And if we don't rest in his, you know, we're either going to try to rest in our work or we're going to learn to rest in his work. And so um, when we talk about the never finished work that we have before us, I think it's important for us to remind our hearts, um, don't look to your never finished work to do for you what Jesus already finished work has, uh, has done for all of us. And as we can preach that truth to our hearts that Jesus is our source and work is not my ultimate source, yes, the paycheck is good, fine, the relationships are but but my deepest hope is in Christ. It sets us free to actually do great work for great reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think that's important as we're leading our own hearts and leading others as we're yeah. discipling people. And I think, let me just say this, because a lot of pastors listen, um, and I'm a, I'm a lead pastor, and I even think of my team now. I need to I need to be better at this, but I think all pastors can prove this. How do we lead our teams into a healthy biblical theology of work instead of just critiquing them when they don't work well or pushing them to work harder? How do we lead them into doing great work for right reasons? And if you're a business owner, and you, you're out in the sort of the marketplace, same thing. Like, how do you uh, create a culture where there's a biblical principles beneath the way you approach work? Yeah. And I think we've got to be able to recognize the people that work under us or the people that we're discipling. 
um, do they, because it usually tends, to, it's, I think it's rare that you find someone that just comes right out of the gate with a very healthy view of this. It usually tends to be someone who maybe is a little more on the lazy side, mm-hmm. but you've got to encourage to, what does it look like to work harder and why does that yeah. matter? Or someone who's on the workaholic side. Right. We, we, sh- we need to be able to recognize where people are at because if we don't, we're going to be discipling them in the wrong direction yeah. and not actually helping them, but instead, like you talked about, leveraging them for our own gain. Mm-hmm. So wherever, whoever we're working with, we need to recognize, hey, here's their propensity, and I need to help disciple them in, in the right direction. And motivate them biblically yeah. in gospel-centered way. Instead of just saying the people who don't work hard, hey, if you want to keep your job, work harder or prove right. yourself, which is not the answer, or people who work too hard. You know, because the answer for work, you know, when you, when you read online, when you read business articles on those who are addicted to work, and there's a lot of them out there, um, the solution that, that the world basically offers is become uh, addicted to something else something healthier for you. Yeah. So instead of basing your whole identity on work, you need to base your identity on your family or on the person you're becoming. Yeah, I mean, in some ways that's good advice, but it doesn't ultimately set your heart free. It just it's, changes your idol. It just, yeah, it changes, absolutely. Yeah. You you, sh- you shift your affections and your attention from one lesser thing to another and you think you've improved. And that really is the course of most humans' lives. Right. So. All right, well, we want to move on here. We, our heart in uh, the Multiply podcast is to not just make better leaders, but also better eaters. Yum, yum. And this this matters, mm-hmm. okay? So uh, we, if you didn't listen to the last episode, you got to go back and listen because we talked about how you and I recently went on a trip to New York City, mm-hmm. and we shared the best slice of pizza we've ever had. So if you didn't listen— We're not going to say it again. We will not say it again. No one and knows. And it's not Domino's. No. I'll tell you that. Yes. Believe it or not. But I was shocked. But it it's does not. rhyme with Mabaros. <laughs> Just kidding. We did talk about that. But we ate at a lot of other places. Yeah. I yep. mean, yep. there was not a moment on that trip that I felt hungry. Not once. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I want to hear from you. Besides the, the pizza, pizza, Yeah. what's the other? What's one of the other best things you ate? I'm going to mention two. Okay. I'm going to mention the lamb dumplings at Zeon Famous Foods. Mm. And I'm gonna mention the, the the Reuben pastrami at Cat's Deli, and there was so much else. But those um, these lamb dumplings are they kind of got like a sweet spicy sauce on them. They're yeah. big. They're big dumplings. Yeah. And if you don't like lamb, they have I think pork version of it. Zeon Famous Foods is just my favorite little counter order Chinese place in New York City. There's probably ten or twelve locations now. I remember when there was only one. And then Cat's Deli is just sort of iconic. And yeah. uh, we had the we, now. I'm a pastrami guy. You went with corned beef. Corn beef. I, I could not disagree with you more on that. I wish we could do a poll with our audience because pastrami is fatty and tasty and flavorful, and corned beef is like corned beef. Like imagine like that pastrami. Like um, imagine that pastrami died, and then and then <laughs> okay. was buried, and then about two years later, someone unearthed it, and as they unearthed it. They spilled dirt all over it. Oh my goodness! And then, as they put it on bread, they um, called it corned beef. <laughs> they spit on it, and then they this served it. This is a you. very elaborate. Well, I'm just trying to draw the. I'm just trying to paint well, let's, the gap. Let's, all right, if if you're watching, leave a comment below. Yeah. Let us know. Are you a pastrami, pastrami or, or a corned beef. beef fan? Yeah. And if you're listening to the podcast, jump over on YouTube just so you can tell us because we're gonna settle this once and for all. Yeah. And the loser. Has to buy the winner the opposite sandwich and and then force them to eat it on this on this <laughs> show. So yeah, perfect. So if I, good. if I lose, then you have to eat a pastrami sandwich. Which I also love pastrami, so that's fine. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, you vote. You let us know pastrami or corned beef. And if you don't know the difference between the two, pastrami's better. 
<laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out.